Good afternoon, guys, gals, and non-binary pal. This is Saverin, and I'm recording a short update for you because, well, we didn't get to record this week either. Last week, I was out of town and didn't get home until like 8pm and was really tired, and this week, things kind of went to shit here in North Dallas. Fuzz caught a cold and sounded like death, and Shiva had some stuff happen at home that threw everything into disarray, and so we really couldn't get together to record. And me doing solo shows, well, you know, if I wanted to do that, I'd just do like a YouTube channel or something. But all things considered, I'm at least doing okay. Just getting murdered by pollen here as we've had a very, very wet early summer, and now all the mosquitoes and all the pollen is just going nuts. But there are a couple things that have been going on in the furry fandom that I really would like some some feedback on because this is something that I've seen happen twice recently and it seems to be just fursuiters perpetually have their knives out for anyone else that makes fursuits. Like, they go straight to the sharpened seam rippers anytime they think they can get a leg up on their business competition. It really feels like it comes down to money. Every time I see some call-out post against some fursuit maker as of late, and it isn't actually actions that the fursuit maker themselves did, but people who commissioned them. These people who have given artists money to create something being deemed bad by the internet, and then the artists, the makers, the fursuit makers getting attacked over it, and the people instigating it are fursuit makers aiming to take their competition down a peg. The specific instances that I'm mentioning here are both the fursuit artist Phoenix Wolf and the fursuit business Alpha Dog Suits. Now, Phoenix did the terrible crime of taking a high-dollar commission from somebody to the tune of $14,000, which fellow suitmakers and other internet denizens decided to pounce upon and make demands like that they should refund this money and cancel the fursuit months after the commission was taken and the money spent. $14,000 is no small amount of money, and making a demand that they return the money to the commissioner and cancel the project after they've lived on some of that money for a few months is incredibly unreasonable and bizarre. And a lot of the people that were involved in doing it were in the first community, other makers. And that stands out to me. The other instance that I saw recently from Alpha Dog Studio, where a person who commissioned a fursuit from them in 2019 and received the suit in February of 2020, decided in June of 2021 to out themselves as a zoophile. And while that's entirely their funeral, that people decided to attack Alpha Dogs for it, and again, instigated by other large fursuit makers, is absolutely ridiculous. I cannot be responsible if someone beats somebody to death with a book that I've sold them, no more than this person can be responsible for whatever a fursuiter is doing with a suit that they paid good money for 15 months ago. And you have these people making these statements that, oh, you need to do full background checks on these individuals before you agree to do work for them, and nobody's paid to do that. Like, I can guarantee you that I have sold books at conventions to people who the furry fandom would deem real bad. But I sure as hell don't keep a Rolodex of who is bad and good this week in the furry fandom, and if anybody was to come at me for having sold a copy of Titles or Trevor's Tricks or any other book that we sell at conventions, I'd tell them to go eat a dick. And ultimately, that's what a lot of people 
did in the response to these artists saying, hey, I'm getting harassed over this shit. Because it's always going to be a few of these little weirdos that get a bug up their ass, or in the case of the fursuit community, just tries to take each other down a peg constantly. And then the rest of the fandom goes, that's stupid. What? Who cares? That's not their problem that their fursuiter is doing a thing, or that the person that commissioned them is bad. Like, fursuiters are small business people, it's generally often just them. It's one person who makes these stupid animal costumes that cost as much as a cash car, and that's fine. But it seems like the culture of the maker community in that scene is just the most absolutely toxic, noxious, garbage thing that I would never want to touch within a million years. Like, I think fursuits can be really cute, but goddamn, I can't say that I've seen some fursuit maker that hasn't had a knife out for one of their competitors. Like, if anybody listening has particular insight into why the fursuit community seems to be a knives-out stew of intra-fandom hostility, like, let me know, because I have no insight in this, I'm just an outsider, but I see this stuff just happens a lot. Anytime it comes across my feed, it's always some suitor out to ruin the business of somebody else, and it seems a real problem that needs to be addressed by that group. I know it's silly and not really related to the main thrust of our show, but it is something that stood out to me in the last couple weeks that I wanted to, like, kind of throw out there. Because, really, fursuits are nice and all, but what the hell. This does bring up something pretty interesting, though. Um, Alice E. Marwick put out a paper here just recently that was an eight-year combined work and study on online harassment, specifically morally motivated networked harassment as normative reinforcement. The paper itself is only 13 pages, but is heavily cited and is also available as an open pub PDF that you can just download. You don't have to be part of some science journal or anything. You can just go ahead and read this. I would like to hit up the abstract because it does really reflect a lot to what I just talked about in the first community. So abstract as such, first published June 3rd, while online harassment is recognized as a significant problem, most scholarship focuses on descriptions of harassment and its effects. We lack explanations of why people engage in online harassment beyond simple bias or dislike. This article puts forth an explanatory model where networked harassment on social media functions as a mechanism to enforce social order. Drawing from examples of networked harassment taken from qualitative interviews with people who have experienced harassment, in 28, and trust and safety workers at social platforms, 9, this article builds on Brady Crockett's and Bowell's model of moral contagion to explore how moral outrage is used to justify networked harassment on social media. In morally motivated networked harassment, a member of a social network or online community accuses a target of violating the network's norms, triggering moral outrage. Network members send harassing messages to the target, reinforcing their adherence to the norm and signaling network membership. Frequently, harassment results in the accused self-censoring and thus regulates speech on social media. Neither platforms nor legal regulations protect against this form of harassment. This model explains why people participate in network harassment and suggests possible interventions to decrease its prevalence. Now, what I discussed earlier with the fursuit stuff is exactly this. A fursuiter or a person who did business with a fursuiter violates a norm and then instigates targeted harassment against the individual. But because it's one or two nasty messages from a lot of people, it doesn't count as harassment. And the people doing it don't see themselves as harassing an individual. One of the interesting things that this paper notes is that this behavior is present across all spaces. Left, right, 
comics fandom furry community it's constant across human culture and it's just basically one or two large people going hey this person's bad for whatever spurious reason or real reason and then getting their goon squad to attack all it takes is some twenty-four thousand follower fursuit maker to point a finger at some other fursuit maker and say this person's bad and that other maker is going to have a very bad long period of time because online harassment will have a very long tail all it takes is some young dipshit to be like, oh shit, I learned this thing about a person that happened five or six years ago. Then they bring it up again to their network of 9,000 people and the target who did the thing years and years ago gets a fresh wave of harassment because of something that they already addressed a long time ago and have probably act to rectify. So all things considered, it's a very interesting and short read and I encourage you to give it a look because it would behoove us to consider how we behave on twitter.com and how that reflects not only on ourselves but the people around us like are we making someone's day worse are we retweeting some literally who with 30 followers and giving them a massive platform with their shit take and resulting in them getting attention but also a lot of harassment is it not just better to sometimes go <laughs> shut the fuck up and block them rather than give your platform to somebody with a terrible opinion that has 30 followers. Like when you quote tweet somebody, you are giving that person your platform. Even if you screen cap them to dunk on them, you're still putting their words out there in front of your audience, even if you redact their contact information and make it slightly harder to directly interact with the original bad take. Like I've tried to make a policy with my Twitter presence to really only try to do positive quote tweets or regular retweets and really try to not get into it with people on twitter.com because it's never really gonna go anywhere it's just spinning your wheels or wrestling with a pig which as we all know is not a good idea because you end up all muddy and the pig enjoys it so that can be your reading for this next week i will include it in the show notes and you can give the author on twitter a read because she also did a supplementary twitter thread discussing her methodologies and stuff that were not necessarily included in the paper shifting to lighter topics though it is currently gamesmas and that is to say e3 2021 which is basically just, hey, we're live streaming a bunch of shit on the same week. It is currently Monday as I'm recording this, and there is a whole bunch of nothing going on. Capcom is doing a thing a little bit later today. But if you would like to catch up on every single trailer possible that they've shown during the online events, you can go to 2021.e3recap.com, and it is a website that has links to every single game shown in order on the various streams and shows that are occurring this week. It makes it really easy to get a quick overview of what's been shown without having to watch the entirety of some of these shows because some of them are just like, I don't give a shit about what Ubisoft's doing, but there was the Wholesome Direct, which happened on Saturday, I think, which had a lot of cute games and it's quote-unquote wholesome because it's all like non-violent or adventure, or it's pastel and twee, there's a lot of very furry adjacent games. There was quite a few that I ended up putting on my Steam wishlist, like Terra Nil, which is a clean up the wasteland and reintroduce life 
nature builder, so it's like an anti-city builder. A game called Here Comes Nico, which is a cutesy, very furry adjacent little adventure game with a 2D main character in a 3D world. Uh, Spirit Swap, lo-fi beats to match 3-2. It's a match 3 with a really neat soundtrack and a nice visual style. Uh, Cocopa's Atlas, K-O-K-O-P-A is the name, Cocopa's Atlas, and it's a exploration game that really looks like it's almost done in a diorama style. It's a really interesting looking adventure game. Uh, Tasumachi Behind the Twilight, which is a platformer with a anime aesthetic similar to that of the super intricate cityscapes you see some people draw. Um, it looks really pretty. The Gecko Gods, which is you are a gecko doing platforming. It's very cute. Bear and Breakfast, which is coming up soon, looks like they also have some furries on the art staff, which is Management Sim, where you're a bear rehabilitating a bear and breakfast. Uh, Cloud Jumper, which is a little airship exploration game. A game called Paparazzi, which is exactly what it says on the tin. You are a photographer and you go around town taking photos of dogs. Witchery Academy, which looks like it's totally not a combination of the terrible turf from Misery Island's world and or Little Witch Academia, and Moonshell Island, which looks like a just cute pastel adventure game. And there's been a lot more that's been announced over the course of E3. If you go to that website I mentioned a little bit ago, 2021.e3recap.com, you can see the trailers for everything, including the horrible 20-minute demo that Square Enix gave a full third of their freaking presentation to for the Guardians of the Galaxy game, which... Man, I really wish they could have just aired the Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker trailer like four times instead. That would have been more interesting, at least to me. At least Rocket looks cute. But I wish they would have shown more Final Fantasy-related things. But, you know, whatever. It's E3. They'll announce stuff when it's available, and we just had the fan fest for Final Fantasy XIV, so... Oh well. And, of course, Geoff Keighley finally got freed from Gamer Prison for finally showing the trailer for Elden Ring. The... Now, more open-world Dark Souls game, which everyone's like, it's more Dark Souls, to which everybody who's a Dark Souls fan goes, yes, that is the point. And I wish those people a very much enjoy your trailer and your upcoming video game. I will probably watch people play it, but I don't know if it's really for me. Though, to be honest, I have been getting back to my quote-unquote gamer roots because I have decided to play through the entirety of the five games of the original Halo trilogy in chronological order with the Master Chief Collection on Game Pass. And uh, I gotta say that I really don't care much about Halo or its lore, but the games are alright now that I'm playing them nearly 20 years after the fact when it comes to Halo 1, or at least 10 in some cases. I also appreciate the brevity of some of them. Like, I sat down and played through Halo 3 ODST in one sitting, which also features a very awkward Xbox 360-era rendering of Nathan Fillion's head, since he is one of the main characters in the story. Um, my personal definitive ranking of Halos in that set, though, would definitely be 2 ODST, 3 Reach, and the original. The original Halo was designed in the late 90s, came out nearly 20 years ago, and it very much shows that. But, you know, whatever. I can say, hey look, I've played those games. I've played some Halo. I am not really a true gamer, but at least I can say I've played them now. I think my biggest mistake was the fact that I played Titanfall 2 before I played any of the Halo games, and Titanfall 2 is like the perfect distillation of what Halo wanted to be. But ultimately it doesn't really matter. I had fun. It's video games. Yay. 
So that's about going to wrap it up for this short update. Um, you can always email us at southpawscast at gmail.com. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash southpawscast. This episode's going to be coming out same time for, for everyone, so it's going to be a free episode. And hopefully Fuzz will be feeling better and Shiva will have gotten some of her situation handled, or at least under control, so we can get together this coming Thursday and record. Because hey, Nintendo's thing is tomorrow and maybe there'll be something exciting then. Don't count on it. So on that note, good night and big balls.